NFL Week 17 almost upon us. Here to get into all of the betting opportunities and then some with us over the course of this conversation. Friend of the show, Mike Roselli. Mike is an attorney, also a sports betting startup consultant. Some of you may know him as the creator and host of the Doggy Juice podcast. And for good measure, Mike is also a sharp better in his own right. On the platform formerly known as Twitter, you can follow him at Michael Roselli. Mike, great to see you once again. Welcome back to Props and Hops. Thanks for having me back, Matt. I'm so pumped. And like, I always have to remind people, I believe I was the very first guest ever on this show. It's come a long way since then. You brought on many better and brighter than I, but I'm honored to be back here. And I feel like it's becoming maybe a yearly thing to kind of come on at the end of the year and break down where we've been as an industry and, and where we've been as betters this entire year. So I'm looking forward to diving in again. And thanks for having me on. Likewise, plenty to dive into over the course of this episode. As we kick things off, also want to thank everybody who's with us live across YouTube and Twitter. Feel free to weigh in with any questions or comments, and we will look to work that into the show when possible. And Mike, to get this thing rolling, last time I saw you was the last night of Bet Bash, and you were flying home right after the Sports Gambling Hall of Fame induction ceremony to be with your lovely wife for the home stretch of her pregnancy with your first child. So since then, first and foremost, congratulations to you and Christina on welcoming your son into the world a couple months ago. And second, I've got to ask, as a new parent, on top of all the work that you're doing as part of the day job, so to speak, plus the doggy juice pod, plus betting, I mean, that's a constant balancing act for me without the parenting piece. So on your end, what's it been like these past couple of months trying to juggle everything? My wife is questioning <laughs> all of her decisions, including like deciding to even date me to begin with, because this also happened during the busiest time on the sports betting calendar, too. I mean, early March is right up there as well, that whole time period. But you got your sports equinox happening during all this as well. I like got balancing a newborn baby, not getting any sleep. But at the same time, like I kind of used to it at this time of year, not getting much sleep and being up early because like there's the line moves are especially in college hoops, which is what I consider my specialty in the, the sport that I actually like to bottom up and top down, at least focusing on a few conferences. That's what I've had to do really is kind of shift my process a little bit just due to that time element. But yeah, it's been a wild whirlwind. I wouldn't have it any other way though, because like I, it's, and it's also been easier. Like I'm catching some line moves at five, you know, doing the 4 a.m. feed, 5 a.m. feed and some, you know, I'm seeing the, my, my screen light up and I'm able to get down maybe on some plays that I normally wouldn't have too with the, with, you know, the newborn in one hand and frantically trying to get a bed in on the other. So uh, it's been it's been something, I guess, but it certainly hasn't been boring. Yeah, and I think this is a good opportunity to make an early mention of David Malinsky. We will, of course, have a special edition of the Malinsky Minute later on here. But I think of Dave and conversations that I think Mitch and Polly have relayed to us over some fantastic meals at Lotus of Siam in recent years, where when they reached out to have Dave on their recent show and it got rolling, and that was on you know before the crack of dawn in Vegas, and they weren't sure how they'd ever get any guests. And they were stunned when Dave actually asked if he could come on earlier. I think they wanted him on at 6 a.m. And he's like, hey, you guys have got me whenever you want, but can we please do it even earlier? And I think it was Polly who's like, Dave, why the hell would you want to come on any earlier? This is already pretty extreme as it is. And Dave said, because when you're up early, you have better opportunities to win. And I like winning. So I think right away, some of your process, not necessarily a priority when it comes to betting. You've got to make sure that you're taking care of your son and Christina, of course. But if it happens to dovetail with betting opportunity, then nothing wrong with that. Mike UT's college basketball. We'll also circle back on that. 
But with NFL Week 17, less than 24 hours from kicking off, wanted to start by getting your take on perhaps a side that you like on this week's board. Yeah, it's this week, and uh, the caveat being, I haven't even finished my game grading from this past weekend, just because you know the holiday and stuff, and where we're at, and the, a lot of the games were played. Uh, my son was baptized on Christmas Eve too, so it's been. So I, I oh, that's yeah. the caveat here. <laughs> Thanks. It's just absolutely everything, everything all at once. But um, yeah, I so it's tough. I've I, I've identified teaser and total side is tough right now, but totals are look- totals are okay. I keep looking at even my numbers that like from last week and, and I'm going to look at, at Dallas and Detroit every, it, it seems to be like really priced in. I make that even last week, if they played on a neutral, I would have, or sorry, in, in Dallas, I would have made this line about four, a uh, little, a tick over four. And we're seeing that six on, on the board right now. And I, I want to fire, but I feel like that's all priced in with the whole Detroit coming off there. You know, the, the letdown spot, of course, clinching the playoff spot. I think that's priced in. So I think right now, if, it, if I'm going if I'm going anywhere, it might be the Detroit side at, at six, even though I it's kind of ugly to me. But um, that's one that sticks out right now, just looking at the numbers from last week. Um, the total that I, I did get on, and it's moved a bit, and I want to make sure I'm getting the right prices right now for you. It's and it's one that I, I feel like I'm not alone on, but that, that Sunday night Vikings-Packers total. Mm. Uh, we saw that open 44.5, I think, consensus, or at least Circa opened at 44.5. It's been bet up. Saw some resistance at 47 and a half earlier today, but now I'm seeing for what it's worth. If you've got DraftKings at 46 there and it's at 47 at Circa right now, while we're talking, as we know, you know, relative key number in totals is that 47. So, um, if I, I like the over there for a lot of reasons, but the big one being just that Packers defense, I think it's some, some of it's really starting to come out there how vulnerable they are. And that Vikings defense, of course, has really turned things around the past few weeks, finally getting to learn that, that, that there's the, the way of their, of their new coordinator. And, and it's, it's, you see them being a lot more aggressive, but, and of course, lower scoring games as well. But I think that this one's just ripe for points. I can't see it being even without even doing the numbers for this week yet. I, I can't see this one staying below 50. If like, if these two teams are battling it out on a Sunday night, you also get to play a little bit on that, that wild card angle that I've heard something. I know like Adam Shirtoff's been on that with, mm-hmm. Um, these teams playing for a, a wild card spot. The totals lo- looking to go over. I think there's some subset that's like not on a nine and zero stretch. Um, I think we're going to see more money on that. So if I'm if I'm you listening right now, I, I'm getting on DraftKings. If you're able to get down with them and taking that over forty six, and probably thinking about what to do with it later in the week when it ticks back up higher. I think that one's going to be north of forty seven uh, before we know it. Even though we saw that resistance earlier. And we've got, I think, consensus of 46 and a half across the board. Some 47s out there. Of course, that 46 sticking out like a sore thumb, especially when you know where that number is coming from versus where some of the market makers are currently listed. So I think you bring up a good point there. And I'm glad you brought up the Lions because that was probably the last side that I ruled out. But I think that on a short list of games that I would look toward this week, Detroit plus six would be a strong candidate in my book as well. That said, I decided to pivot and go with the Houston Texans laying five, hosting Tennessee. And this one, hat tip to Las Vegas Chris and Steve Fezzik, pro bettors on the BetUS NFL show, largely centers around quarterback information that we're getting at this stage of the week. So another bet that might be more beneficial, fingers crossed to those of you who are with us live this evening. On the Houston side, it looks like C.J. Stroud's going to be making his return a little bit later than expected, but Stroud back under center nevertheless for the Texans most likely this weekend. For Tennessee, it looks like they're angling toward going back to Will Levis, and that could be a downgrade after what we saw from Ryan Tannehill last weekend, just knowing that 
Tannehill is not great right now, but probably better today than Will Levis. So if and when we get confirmation that it's Stroud for Houston and Levis for Tennessee, no surprise if this line touches six, which is a somewhat key number. So at minus five, I think Houston is a good look with a little bit of wiggle room, considering it good to minus five and a half. Mike, any thought whatsoever, understanding that with sides on this week's board and everything else you've got going on in your life, this might just be a blip on the radar, but any thoughts on that handicap or the number Houston minus five versus Tennessee? Yeah, just, I mean, it, I agree with everything you said, to be honest, just because so much has been linked to Stroud and, and now that like, you know, he's it's looking like we're, it's all set. And it, even like last week was a surprise with him not playing Tennessee on the flip side. You just, you have to, at this stage in the season, you have to look a little bit more towards like, Hey, where's, of course, they're NFL players. They're always going to try. Motivation's never really a question with these guys. But I think you have to also think about the way the market's going to price in this game as the week kind of progresses. And kind of similar to that total that I mentioned earlier at the top, I feel like you're just getting in front. If you're able to get down at it now, I think this one's going to close a little bit higher as people, you know, the whatever you want to see, public money starts coming in. But um, without, you know, let me see what I would have made that last week. All right, we've been like pretty similar, but. Of course, with a healthy Stroud, that's that's the whole handicap. But I feel like when you have when you have sharp guys like that kind of getting behind a play, you know that there's going to be some momentum moving behind that. So I just from a sheer market aspect, I, I agree with the play and would probably get down on it now. And I'm glad you brought up that point about some sharp guys in a public forum bringing up a play like this. When Fezzik and LVC brought this up earlier today, the number was four and a half. Five, not thought to be a key number by any stretch, but it could come into play. So just worth noting, they liked it at four and a half. I'm confident they would still like it at five. And I felt comfortable endorsing it accordingly for this part of the show tonight. Um, but yeah, the market can move at mysterious times in mysterious ways. I don't think there's too much mystery behind why this one gets to six if and when it does before we perhaps see some market resistance and, and some money maybe going back the other way on Tennessee. Yeah, if they let you bet with them, points bets still sitting at four and a half right now for the legal books that people can usually get at. They're still at four and a half right now. So uh, they let you bet more than a couple bucks. Yeah, well, hopefully people can also <laughs> get down more than a couple bucks on teasers when we look at this week's board. It's probably the last week, depending on what the playoffs have in store, maybe the last week that could be quite viable for teasers because week 18 can be the ultimate crapshoot. And honestly, even this week, while it may be, you know, last call for teasers, it's not exactly the juiciest teaser card we've had so far this season. As part of my weekly routine, the initial look is a run-through of teams fitting that classic advantage teaser model, crossing through the key numbers of three and seven. Three fits I'm seeing on the board right now. Cleveland able to be taken down to minus one and a half, hosting the Jets on Thursday night football. Good thing we're doing the show on a Wednesday night this week instead of the usual Thursday, so the Browns can be eligible for this portion of the show. A couple more fits on the Sunday card. New Orleans up to plus eight and a half at Tampa Bay and Green Bay up to plus eight at Minnesota. Mike, among those three options, or maybe getting a bit creative here, I know I've heard some talk about the Chiefs. They're currently a flat seven-point favorite at home to Cincinnati, but some momentum for teasing the Chiefs down to one. Or anywhere else on this board, what would you identify as your favorite teaser week, teaser look across Week 17? I, I love the Chiefs' leg, and it might be square, but uh, you know, just coming off that loss, another game at home here. I mean, you're asking them essentially to win the game outright. I'm not a big fan of teasing down from seven. I'm a big fan of teasing down from seven when the line closes eight or nine. Um, so I, I love the, the Chiefs portion, although I actually might even be exploring just laying the seven on that one too. Right after we get off here, now that that, that one's ticked down because we have uh, that was sitting seven and a half earlier today uh, consensus. But um, like, like the Chiefs um, to win that game outright, 
um, even though it might not be a classic case. The Browns leg as well. Um, I'll probably be including that one just because, you know, the Jets at this point, that's a lot of points to be laying right now too. I don't think it's a bargain necessarily. Um, and even like looking at last week's numbers certainly wouldn't have had it this high. And I know that you know, the adjustments were warranted on either side, um, you know, since, since the lines went up, but, or at least since the last games were played. So yeah, I would, the Browns, the and equally to the Saints leg as well. Although, you know, that total is a little bit higher than probably a lot of people would think. But you have your interdivision, you know, matchup there. The game means a lot, of course. I wish I, you know, of course, it's hard teasing a team up from two and a half to eight and a half when three was available for most of the day. I think that moved finally in the afternoon today uh, down to two and a half. But I, I think that's a good leg as well. Just ask the, the Saints to keep that within one score. So if I'm going to pick one, I still want to include that. I, mean, I feel square sauce giving out Chiefs paired with the Browns. So, but I think I'm, that's what I do. Essentially, ask both those teams just to win their games outright. I think the Chiefs line will close higher. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, or something unforeseen happens. But that's probably what I what I would do. But honestly, I'm sure I'll have a combination of all three of those legs that I mentioned uh, this week in, in some form. And it does sound like you're quite bullish on the prospects for each of those three legs. So while conventionally when we talk teasers we're referring to a two-team six-point teaser any thought of possibly bringing them all together in a three-team six-point teaser at the books where you can get plus 160 or better 100 yeah if that's it all comes down to price there as we're aware books are protecting against this stuff more than they ever have uh, in the past and in, you know obviously when you see sharp books like circa not offering anything uh, you know less than minus 130 is their price you're seeing a lot more dynamic pricing on, on teasers when you are getting the advantage teaser in. So yeah, if you're able to find, if you're fortunate enough to find that price on a three-teamer, absolutely. All right. Well, I'm glad that you have conviction on a few different legs because Kansas City, I am still not sure yet. I might get there, but I'm just not sure yet. I would not have guessed that a Patrick Mahomes-led offense under Andy Reid would be the reason to keep me on the sidelines for the Chiefs at this stage of the week in this matchup. And then when I look at a team like Green Bay that can be taken up through the key numbers in the standard six-point teaser, I think that some close games last week are skewing the perception of both the Packers and the Vikings right now. Green Bay emerging with a narrow victory at Carolina in Week 16. Minnesota coming out of Detroit with a narrow loss, coming out of a home game against Detroit with a narrow loss after Week 16. When I look at the Vikings, they dominated yards per play in that game against the Lions, and they were done in by negative variance. When it comes to stats that are less predictive than something like yards per play, but still extremely impactful when it comes to the outcome of any one game. And if you're just really getting blown out of the water on third and fourth down conversion rate and you're minus three in turnovers, it's going to be tough to win. So I, I can see why the Vikings did not end up winning or covering last week against Detroit. And that was too bad having had Minnesota plus three in pocket as a best yeah. bet on this show. But I think a lot of the underlying metrics can bode well for Minnesota moving forward. Not so much for Green Bay. You touched on their defense a little bit earlier in this conversation. And over the last three weeks, they've allowed 30 points to the Panthers of all offenses. They've given Baker Mayfield a perfect passer rating at Lambeau Field. And they got carved up by Tommy DeVito and a loss at the Giants. Of course, DeVito has since been benched. So all things considered, when I look at this Packers-Vikings matchup, I would lean toward Minnesota. I am, I think in addition to Detroit, that those are kind of the honorable mentions I didn't include inside that I would look to bet right now. So that really suppresses my interest in teasing the Packers. That leaves me basically with Cleveland and New Orleans. When we're talking about the Browns, minus one and a half hosting the Jets, we're basically taking the vastly superior team at home to do a little more than win outright. And in that Saints leg, 
I hear you on 42 and a half being a surprisingly high total. Welcome to the NFL in 2023. But this is a divisional rematch. And I think that familiarity can reduce some variance, which in turn can magnify the relative value of each point we get in the teaser. And really, like you said, with the Saints getting more than a touchdown in a toss up game. No surprise if New Orleans wins this one outright. Put me down for Cleveland minus one and a half hosting the Jets and New Orleans plus eight and a half at Tampa Bay. Mike. We've talked sides. We've talked teasers. We can also weave in some props. And I heard you allude to having done some work on a prop that you like on this week's card. So I will turn it over to you to divulge that look. Well, the number's not up yet, but Justin Fields um, rushing prop under. And I'm a Chicago guy. At least I haven't seen anything posted up, up here. Um, I'll take a look in real time. Yeah, but not, not, high, not super high conviction on it, but... I think it, um, yeah, I'm not seeing it anywhere, but could be missing something. Um, this line, I mean, if it's no secret what Justin Fields does, and especially what the Bears are, are fine with doing with him and letting him, letting him get loose and run the ball. My thinking on this is it's really simple. The fact that Atlanta, and maybe this is square sauce too, but Atlanta runs the ball so much. And this is a game where Chicago's favorite, of course, at home. But Atlanta's used to just this, the nature of their offense being so run heavy. Uh, that they, at least stands to reason, are a little bit more equipped to defend a, a quarterback that rushes the ball. And it's more of just a, I don't want to say sell high spot as well, but betting, you're, you're going to be betting uh, something that's taxed if you're betting over on, on Justin Fields rushing props at any point now. So I'm going to be taking a look when, at least when I can get full access on these and when can actually get down on, on just going across the board under on Justin Fields, uh, you know, probably rushing attempts under. Uh, potentially as well. It also kind of fits my handicap with the game too. I think a little bit. Um, well, I guess no, it's the opposite of the end because I actually lean. I lean the Falcons. So if the Bears are of course playing from behind, here it's this one's a little bit more in trouble. But um, it certainly fits the the handicap of the market with the Bears of course being favored. Stands to reason that if they they have a lead later on, they're a little less likely to, to have those easy open fields for field for for Justin Fields to run through. So. Um, I wish I could give you a number to play it at because, of course, that's all that matters. But I could at least that's one I've I've pinpointed and identified this week heading into the weekend on, on New Year's Eve to to look at Justin Fields under rushing props, which is a really tough thing to do as a Chicagoan. But uh, that's where I'm looking this week. Well, especially given your proximity to the Bears being in Chicago and then your willingness to try to be objective and even fade a team that you root for. I think that can say a lot about the conviction behind the bet itself. You mentioned wanting a number at all boils down to the price. And if it's of any use, I'm looking at last week, the Bears were favored in a similar range at home to Arizona on Christmas Eve and fields closed. There's always a little bit of fluctuation with these props. It looks like he closed in the range of let's call it 54 and a half to 57 and a half. So if we're talking about that range, let's say mid fifties, how does that jive with the more handicap based thoughts that you had for this week's matchup with Atlanta? Yeah. I would say like, I, I want to give like a play it to this number. I would say, you know, without looking too much into like the, the data for the past few weeks, I'd say like, you know, anything mid fifties, high, even high fifties would be like the target range. I would say um, so, certainly similar to last week. Um, if it if it's in that range, then playing under there, I think, would be would be playable to me. Got it. All right. If if it's fair for you, just purely for grading purposes, people can do okay. what they will based off the handicap you've shared. Um, Let me get this I up see <laughs> uh, I see a fifty four and a half at a major U.S. 
recreational book. That's kind of the low number on the totem pole for Fields last week. But if we call it maybe a price cutoff of 54 and a half, does that sound fair? So he's going to need 55 to beat you? That's fair. Yeah, let's say mid-50s or higher. And I think that, that number is pretty confident we're going to see something similar to that, just because what closed last week, just because 97, just quickly 97 rush yards last week uh, in that mm-hmm. win. So people are, it's going to be hard to find buyers on the under on this one on Fields rush props. So I, I would definitely wait to that point. Um, I would wait until right before kick probably to get after this one uh, and fire under. And I could be mad at myself when he rips one off in the first half and, and, the, and this one's uh, dead, dead on arrival. But uh, yeah, I'm certainly not going to be betting the over on that one this week. So let's call 54 and a half. That's good to me. All right. So we will hope that nothing happens early to grade your bet before the game is over and Fields hopefully stays under his total. In my case, I would not mind this prop getting graded nice and early this week. Mike, if there is a total of 53 and a half on the board, especially in this scoring environment in the NFL, I think you know what that means. I'm going to look at Detroit, Dallas, the what it might, the poster child prop of props and hops shortest touchdown under one and a half yards on Saturday night in Dallas. From a math perspective, something I've shared before, I won't belabor the point too much here, but with this being by far the highest total on the board, more points bodes well for the prospects of more touchdowns being scored in a game and more touchdowns increases the odds of at least one one-yard touchdown. When I look at some handicapping viewpoints with regard to this matchup, the Lions, I really like in a prop like this because they're a smart team when it comes to fourth down decisions. So they could have something along the lines of a fourth and two at the Dallas 35 And that's not an automatic field goal attempt. Even that situation could lead to a goal to go series later on in the same drive. And with a stout offensive line, with Ben Johnson being really creative, hopefully future Chargers head coach Ben Johnson, I'll throw out there. (laughs) I think with what he's dialing up, the Lions are very productive near the goal line. And when we look at the other team in this matchup, with the Cowboys and what Dak Prescott can do, I see them as a nice dual threat team in short yardage situations. So either the Lions or the Cowboys, I frankly wouldn't be surprised if both teams ended up punching in a touchdown from the one in what could be a shootout Saturday night in Dallas. I like this one, and there is some big attached to it, as always with this prop. It could be pretty surprising how steep the price is, but for the reasons I've mentioned between the math and the handicap, I do think it's a warranted play. Let's call it good up to minus 165. I'm seeing that at a leading regulated U.S. sports book. I'm also seeing minus 160 at a pretty well-established offshore book. So minus 160 or up to minus 165, consider it good for Detroit, Dallas, shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. Mike, I know you've heard me break was, down this prop more times than you can count <laughs> over the years. So any I, thoughts on this particular one with this Lions-Cowboys matchup? I was hoping you'd mention it. I had a feeling you would, and that's why I didn't, because I was going to mention it if you didn't. Um, I didn't want to steal your thunder. But yeah, I call this the Matt Landis special, the props and hop special. And there was, a, I want to pour one out right now with my, my beer that's about three quarters <laughs> full. Uh, I want to pour one out to to this because a couple of years ago, 2021, DraftKings in particular was pricing this prop at minus 125 week in, week out. And it was the best thing in, at least in props markets and sports betting. And I think you were single handedly responsible, or at least a lot of your listeners for, um, myself included, for, for attacking those. It was an auto play. If the total was over 50 points, you were playing that prop and how much you were playing was probably correlated with we were mentioning your, you know, how comfortable you were with the coach uh, going for it on fourth and one and stuff. And you identified it perfectly. I think the, you're going to see some aggression there. Maybe you might not be able to count on it from McCarthy, but uh, certainly on the Detroit side, you know, if it's fourth and fourth and one, you know, they're going for it. I think both sides do. And, and that's a game with a lot of points. I think it's a great bet. Of course, we're laying more juice now than we were a couple of years ago, but it's warranted. And I, I love that play. All right. 
good to have your endorsement there. And while I cannot claim to be responsible for it, at least firsthand when it comes to DraftKings, given that I'm located in California, if others were able to cash in on this win, it was really good. Uh, I think the the window has started to close quite a bit, but still a smidge of opportunity. Maybe not the best of the number like back in the day when we could have had this at minus 125, but still a bettable number so long as you're getting minus 165 or better in my book. At this time in the show, Mike, I'll give the audience a weekly reminder that I'm partnering with the team over at Right Angle Sports in an affiliate capacity this season. And they've got something for everybody right now, whether you're interested in the NFL or college basketball, where they've got an unparalleled track record of success, or even with college football's bowl season being in full swing, they've got a service available for that right now. If you're interested in checking it out, no obligation, but you can support Props and Hops by supporting the team over at Right Angle Sports. I've built a custom link you can use to do so, tinyurl.com slash picks. All right, and with that, let's get to a rapid, refi- a rapid fire rundown of our own picks for the Props and Hops NFL Week 17 portfolio. When it comes to sides, Mike, it sounds like a lean on Detroit plus six, a pretty strong lean there, but maybe more conviction on a total, Green Bay, Minnesota, over 46 and a half shop around there is 146 still sticking out across the marketplace and i will go with the side this week of houston minus five hosting tennessee when it comes to teasers mike has identified value on cleveland minus one and a half hosting the jets paired with kansas city minus one hosting cincinnati and also where you can get three teamers at plus 160 or better look to tack on new orleans plus eight and a half at tampa bay For my purposes, I really have conviction on two of those legs this week, Cleveland and New Orleans. So Browns minus one and a half paired with Saints plus eight and a half is my teaser look for week 17. Again, closer to kickoff, things may change. But as things down on Wednesday night, I could endorse that angle. And then when it comes to props, Mike, looking at Justin Fields rushing yards to the under, if we need to put a number on it right now, it's not widely available yet. But think 54 and a half is a price cutoff. And given where Fields was on last week and his output, Wait for people to bet the over once this gets listed, and you can probably do quite a bit better than 54 and a half for fields rushing yards to the under. And then I will go with the props and hop special shortest touchdown under one and a half yards for the Lions at the Cowboys. Good to minus 165. Mike, that's a lot of picks to get this show rolling. But when I have any guest on, and especially for a few areas where you excel, I also want to make sure that we don't give short shrift to the process behind a lot of these betting decisions. And you touched on it off the top. Your wheelhouse, as much as you can speak to the NFL very intelligently, your wheelhouse is in college basketball. So I'd love it if you could share perhaps any top tips for up and coming college basketball betters as the season really is in full swing at this time of the year. Yeah, no, it's college hoops. It's I always say if I could marry one betting market, it would be early season college basketball totals, especially, you know, some of these neutral court games, too. And we're entering like a new leg of the season, if you want to say like there's never I can't say this is like the midway point through the season because it's you know, we're coming up on two months in and I guess we are <laughs> halfway, but we're entering a new leg of the season with conference games really starting to, to begin in earnest and players are coming out of finals week and the holidays. And if there was ever you know, time for them and the coaching staff to recharge. Of course, this is it. So you might see it's as important time as, as ever. Of course, it always is. But to read the tea leaves in some of these teams and maybe see how they're going to make some early adjustments to their early season results. They're playing a lot of non-conference games. Maybe they did a lot of traveling, playing in some of those those tournaments with maybe saw a smaller team playing against uh, some bigger teams. And 
Um, but you could see teams kind of shift, at least with this, we want to call it a break, but at least a little bit of time to kind of recharge. You see some, some shifting sometimes on some teams. So there's some opportunities there. But I'm also, I, I want to talk about home court advantage in college hoops because there's a lot of uh, different ways of thinking about it, I guess you could say. And really what I'm fit, most intrigued by is how the market factors in um, home court advantage. We've obviously seen you know, some big changes just in general on the home field and home court. You know, the NFL is a perfect example. You know, as teams get, you know, better at travel, more familiar, but obviously the training staff, you see there's a lot of reasons why home home field in the NFL is not worth anywhere near what it was in the past. And to a certain extent, it's the same in college hoops, but I think there's even some more nuance here. And I'm, I'm I may be in danger of giving away a little bit of the secret sauce here, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I want to talk about a little bit stop of you from uh, <laughs> how I do some, some totals work. And I, I feel that home court is becoming a bit more nuanced than we have to shift that thinking now too. This is a good time to talk about it just because we're, we're heading into that interconference part of the season in earnest now. And if you don't, if you don't get home court right in college hoops, then you're probably going to see some, some lines up there that you think you have value on where maybe, maybe you really don't. And I think that's really something to keep in mind. So I think that like, for me, a really important thing to, as a starting point with my home court and college hoops, it largely comes down to who the favorite is, but also what the spread is. And we're coming off, of course, a lot of neutral court games and entering conference season now but i guess for for example if you have a road favorite i think it's a lot more straightforward and especially in conference games um it's for me it's pretty much a standard you know, three four point deduction on that on that team's power rating when you come to conference games and you know you're the standard three standard four of course it's nuanced maybe it's a saturday night and there's a you know a little bit more you know pep in the step for the students and maybe you get a little bit more but as we know home court and home field is not just playing the game it's everything that goes into it your travel where you wake up and, the, and the, your familiarity with the surroundings so there's that but it, it's a little more straightforward with road favorites where i just do that standard three to four points off the team's rating not much to it home favorites are where it gets a little interesting and where i start to use a bit more of a sliding scale so typically um and i guess like the the inverse of that Basically, the bigger the favorite of the home team is, the less I am going to do the, you know, the standard three to four point, um, you know, addition to their power rating. If that makes sense, so I, I, usually it's just about two points. I would say in that, in that, even if the teams are kind of close to even, but the larger the favorite, the less, uh, the larger the home favorite, the less I'm actually going to factor in home court. And it's a bit counterintuitive there, um, I think as well. But you know, if I get a team that's like 15, 16, really. Once you get into double digits, it's really getting closer and closer to zero. And by the time you get to, if I see a 20 point plus home favorite, especially in conference play, I'm really not adjusting at all for home court. And there's a few reasons for that, but like, the, you know, the main reason really is, you know, team, it's kind of similar to your, your NFL handicapping, you know, about this man, if you have a big favorite, the fourth quarter, you really, when you see fourth quarter line, it's really a coin toss because you know, the handicap is the favorite's going to be up by that point. And they're not you know, playing playing as hard, whatever, what have you. They're changing their schemes. So it's the fourth quarter is more of a coin toss, and you're seeing that favorite is you know, a pretty big favorite in the first quarter lines, first half lines, even third quarter lines, second quarter lines. Uh, similar in college basketball with some of these bigger favorites where I just don't make the adjustments as much. Um, and you also, when you when you combine that with conference play, you really have you have, you have a situation where, and this is, the market's aware of this. Obviously, teams are more familiar with the surroundings, the travel, 
it stands to reason the teams are a little bit more even too, just because they're playing a team in their conference. So that's, you see those bigger home favorites a lot less often, I guess you could say, of course, you see your, your big name teams, um, you know, laying, laying big points to smaller conference foes. But one thing, I guess if I have like a tip or something to keep in mind to kind of wrap it all up in a bow is the larger the favorite, especially a home favorite, um, you really don't, you want to be looking to make less of an adjustment for home home court. And it's, it's a sliding scale. It's always a nuance, but that's what I always like to think about at this time of year where home, because home court is such an important part of college hoops. So hopefully that helped <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. And so if I'm to try to distill that down as concisely as I can, being very much an amateur when it comes to college basketball handicapping, I think the logic checks out that if it's anticipated that a game will be competitive, it's likely that the players in the crowd will take things a lot more seriously and that can ratchet up home court advantage. And if there's a really big point spread, maybe there's a sense of complacency again, not just with the players, with the crowd, just the, the overall vibe, as much as I'm more into measurables than something like as abstract as a vibe, if there's that possible sense of complacency with a big spread, then that can diminish what we could expect for home court advantage. And Mike, did I hear correctly that you might've touched on that with regard to totals, not just sides, or is that purely when you're looking at sides in college basketball? That's really just, that's more for totals for me, for just, just for, oh, and I'm sorry, did I mention, I'm sorry, I meant to say side. I'm so okay. okay. Right. I'm sense. so sorry. Cool. Yep. Yeah. 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 If there's a lot going through this, this brain with two hours of sleep right now, but yeah, inside so for home court totals, it's, and I probably said total a lot there and probably confused a lot of people, but, um, but yeah, when it comes to sides, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, we're strictly talking sides in terms of adjustments to home to, to the totals. I mean, it's, you're getting a little bit more nuance there too, but um, yeah, of course the bigger favorite you're expecting it, a little less scoring at the end of a game too. Usually the larger the favorite, also a sliding scale. But I bet you if you ask any odds maker, bookmaker in Vegas, they'll, uh, there's enough data out there to support what I'm saying on, on the home court side, at least of things uh, for college hoops. But those are, yeah, sorry, not total sides. All right, we got, so when it comes to sides, yeah. a, a narrow yeah. spread probably will see home court advantage peaking and a larger spread yeah. might mean reduce it a bit. Again, a sliding scale typically, most of the time, probably in the range of two to four points. But yeah. Mike, you touched on the other side of the counter there. And I think that's a fitting transition based on your experience on the other side of the counter. As an attorney with C-level experience at a regulated US sports book, when it comes to your expertise, when, when we talk, legalized betting. I'm always curious about what you think might be in store for California. I know better at this point than to hold my breath, but at a macro level across the U.S., what are you watching most closely these days? There's a lot. I mean, because now we have 37, I think it's 37 states in D.C. that have legalized. We've seen uh, 2023 was a big year for, for a lot of reasons, but we saw early on Ohio and Massachusetts came on. Those are the big states and they really brought responsible gaming to the forefront of the industry. This year, and I'm sure we'll dive into this a little bit later, but in terms of a good thing that happened this year um, in the industry. But um, moving forward, you have to always talk about the big three. You have to, you know, of course, Florida and Texas and California. And Florida now is, of course, live again with one game in town, Hard Rock. But it's they're not out of the woods in terms of the legal challenges. Uh, they're on, on multiple fronts, too, state and federal. Um, so that's one to pay attention to in Florida. Just because, you know, you've got your Hard Rock app, Hard Rock app that's up now if you're if you're in the Seminole state, you're able to get down there now you know, from the comfort of your couch, which is great for everybody. Of course, as a better, I love that. What I don't love as a better is only having one game in town there, of course. And I'm a firm believer if there's no competition, especially some bigger whales and bigger betters that you want to be 
including as part of the handle, they're going to be taking their action elsewhere when they get a little more price sensitive back to the black market, back to the offshore sites, or even to neighboring states, which is bad for all stakeholders in, in the state of Florida. So I would love to see a situation where, you know, gaming compact aside, where there's more options for Florida betters. That's, but that legal situation is certainly something to, that's a big story heading into next year. And then likewise, the other, you know, Texas and California, you're right to say that you should not hold your breath on California. You see some feeble attempts to, uh, to at least introduce legislation and try and get some tribes on board. There's a lot of politicking going on uh, behind the scenes right now in California, uh, but I, I can't see it happening anytime soon. You saw how, I, I really honestly think we we're talking in a similar time last year about about the subject and that that referendum that that miserably failed in in uh, that was on the ballot in California last year. Uh, I think it was like fourteen percent, and of course there's different props that were out there. And you basically the takeaway from that was the tribes hold absolutely all the power in California for better or worse. And I guess that Florida just to link it back to Florida, as you may see on the legal side, the results of the Florida situation, maybe even the Supreme Court could take up on it. But if not. At least the, the I'm talking the U.S. Supreme Court. Even if not, you may see the precedent kind of shift a little bit, and, and the it, it could be a landmark case, to, you know, depending on what happens there. But that could have precedent and uh, impact state com- st- state gaming compacts across the country, including the California uh, state gaming compact. So there's it's all kind of connected a little bit. Texas is is nuanced and different in the sense that you see the politics moving. I think I've mentioned on this podcast before that Texas is unique and that they. Uh, they only meet once every two years, every other year, the legislature there. So it's impossible to get it done next year and because they're not meeting next year. But I think you're going to see some big movement on the, on the just the political front and kind of alliances being made. And you saw a perfect example of that recently with the um, the Dallas Maverick situation mm-hmm. with, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are aware of this already. But, of course, Mark Cuban sold a majority stake to the Adelson family, who, of course, owns you know, the, the, basically the Sands Group is now involved. Um, in Texas, there's talk about uh, building a big casino slash just destination resort area in the Dallas, uh, in, in Dallas, of course, to attract people. So all of this is kind of packaged together uh, to, to hopefully bring sports betting to, to Texas and maybe as soon as legalizing it in 2025. I'm, I'm thinking certainly by 2027 in that state. But um, it's that's the one definitely with I think the most it's definitely more optimistic than California, Florida. A bit of a mess. I, I think that you know, I'm not alone in saying that it's not ideal for for, for us as betters how things currently stand over there. But uh, those are the big three to pay attention to in the industry itself. And I could probably talk for two hours without taking a breath about anything else on the legal side. You know, the responsible gaming side. That was a big. That's another big thing to look forward to in 2024. That we finally saw a lot of attention turned towards that that whole subject this year, which was a big. A big thing, and, and you got to tip the cap to Massachusetts and, and Ohio, the regulators there, for uh, for asking a lot of questions that weren't being asked. And I think that now I was mentioning and you'll, and the, the doggy juice pod this week that you'll hear when I brought on an old intern to to discuss some of these legal um, these legal developments, and and we you know, kind of concluded that like that was like the death knell for barstool sports book, the Massachusetts regulators. Uh, that was really the kind of the final nail in the coffin there for them. So. Um, and say what you will about Barstool and, and some of the other you know, existing players in the space. But I think a lot of them have gone unchecked on responsible gaming and we've we've seen some good developments there, but I think we're gonna see a lot more even heading into the next year and that momentum is gonna keep going. All right. So all eyes on the big three for the time being, Florida, Texas, and California. And then when it comes to responsible gaming and plenty of other topics, I think 
the timing will be appropriate to have a deeper dive on that maybe at some point shortly after the Super Bowl. So, Mike, you know, it's never too far out before I'm going to want to have you back on and really dive into this and probably a really good deep conversation after the NFL season has wrapped up. For now, you kind of touched on it while answering that last question. 2023 is about to wrap up. So with this being the last Props and Hops episode of the year, a two-parter here for you, kind of looking back at 2023 and then looking ahead to 2024. First off, with regard to 2023, when you think about takeaways in the betting space, how would you identify, let's say, your best and worst takeaways from the year in sports betting? Yeah, I think the responsible gaming thing is was... Uh... That was a big story too. Of course, the whole deep, the focus on DFS plus the against the house stuff. That's been a big thing called for better or worse. It's at least being talked about now and you're seeing the cease and desist letters on a state by state level, or at least the legal opinion letters by attorney generals. I would say the focus on responsible gaming has been the best story just because it's, I'm always concerned about the, you know, we become prisoners of the moment and look at what things are like now, but things are going to look a lot different in this industry in five, 10 years from now. And just like they did, I mean, five years ago, no one, six years ago, no one was doing it outside Nevada. And we've already come a long way, of course, now in the first five and a half years of, of proliferated legalized sports betting in the U.S. And I, responsible gaming always took that back seat and, and really wasn't, it wasn't even a thing. You saw sports books making deals with colleges and, and uh, it, I'm worried that's, you know, if you allow operators to go unchecked on some of these things and the partnerships they're making and the people they're dealing with so knee-jerk, knee-jerk reactions happen at, on the legislative level and the regulatory level and you saw just this past year uh, so, some congressmen at least introduce a bill that would ban sports betting advertising altogether just like tobacco advertising at a federal level is is banned um, at, within reason but um I don't think we're going to get to that level, but just the fact that that was introduced was indicative of where we were as an industry. And I think the New York Times article that everyone read kind of uh, moved that that whole conversation along a little bit. But questions, we're so early on and questions were finally asked this year. I think, uh, again, you have to tip the cap to those regulators in those two states that launched early in the year uh, for asking those questions. But a lot of those deals with colleges are now, those are next, those are gone. And you saw those, those, um, scandals with the Alabama baseball coach and the Iowa uh, football players betting. And a lot of it's happening that hasn't been caught, of course. I think everyone's aware of that. So you're seeing some stuff that's good for the longevity of the industry, but also just the, you know, you don't want any knee-jerk reactions, but it's going to ruin it for everybody, right? You want this to all move up. We all want to have as many outs as we can and, and, and books make as much money as they can. But when you allow these operators to just go unchecked, you saw some bad results there. You saw the barstool sports books of the world kind of make a mockery of responsible gaming. And it's just bad for everybody to have that. So I think turning the attention this year to that was, was a big win. And I guess on the, on the flip side, you know, on the in terms of bad things that happened this year, I mean, you, you saw there's a lot more talking heads out there. Sports betting, I, I think I've said it on this podcast multiple times. I've never seen an industry where the ego is such is so prevalent. You have guys who... You know, this is even on the regulatory side and, and, and the, the legal side um, and the licensing side. You have people that think that it's their way or the highway. You know, that's maybe it's just something about sports and sports betting where you're kind of putting your own reputation at risk. But it really brings out a lot of hard headed thinking. And you see this happening on, you know, of course, with unchecked media. You know, what do you want to say? Like spokesmen, people that are in bed with sports books. You saw some unique issues with um, 
you know, something ESPN's navigating it right now in a big way with um, some of their influencers that have that, that hold, let's call it for what it is, major market influence uh, can do so just with their, their tweets. So the, the Shams tweet, I think with FanDuel and the NBA draft, uh, um, that was a big one just because he moved the market and it was erroneous information and it called into question some integrity on the game. So, uh, or on, on, on the betting side. So it's a little bit of that. I hate seeing uh, voids too, people calling for voids on, on social media after players go down, but um, I guess that's another separate issue entirely. But for me, when it comes to just the way people consume sports betting media, I would like to see a little bit more um, I don't know, responsibility, get pe- you know, people become accountability, I guess is the right word um, on that front. And I would like to see a little bit more, um, I don't want to call it regulation because, you know, that's usually not the best thing, but, you know, at least a little bit more of uh, transparency in terms of who's, you know, representing which sports book. And this goes to people that are anybody that's getting paid by a sports book as an affiliate or or maybe a celebrity spokesman. I think uh, you need to really go more on the education front and less so on the touty side of things. So it's really sports betting media, I think is a long way to go. And I don't know if we'll ever get there, but, um, to a place where we would probably prefer it to be, but um, and there's always going to be your, your Twitter and, and your, your TikTok touts and stuff. But once you start, you know, and this is linked to responsible gaming. Once it starts, you know, significantly and materially impacting people's lives, especially younger people, that's when it becomes a bit of a problem. And I think that that's linked to responsible to responsible gaming issues we've been seeing. So, Mike, a follow up on that for you. I'll put it on the screen here. A question in the chat from Dan Rivera. Dan, thank you for joining us live once again this week. This may be above your pay grade, but what would you say is the solution to books touting big winners, but flag anyone to ask nine amounts because they won? And, and that goes right to the responsible gaming issue too, because the big, it, the very business model of these sports books is, to, of course, takes much uh, handle from whales, the, the VIPs, as they can, and usually those people are the biggest, you know, more often than not, more likely to be a responsible gaming issue because you're letting them bet more with you and you're incentivizing those bets. I that's a really good question. I think that, it's, and you hate going to the you know ask lawmakers or regulators who are very, especially. You know, my experience, not informed about sports betting or how it works at all, let alone the yeah. jargon. Um, you don't want to have them take matters into their own hands there. But at the same time, transparency, maybe some kind of, I, I don't know, because, like, put some kind of central, um, I don't say like a repository, but like a central bulletin where you can, you know, hold some of these people accountable, hold them in check. But it's always going to be at odds with the sports book's best interests. You know, the, the responsible gaming side, they'll, they'll signal a certain way and say, you know, you get creative and say things you want to hear. But at the end of the day, some of these whales VIPs that are betting a lot that are responsible gaming issue are the very people that they would tell you in a closed room that they prefer betting with them. But I'm all about the longevity of the industry too. I think we could definitely agree there. And I think everyone could, right? Like you would rather have a guy, you know, betting with you for 20 years who's a negative EV better uh, than just popping him for a shorter amount of time. And then he, uh, you know, then you no longer have him anymore because you churned him out. So I think keeping the big picture in mind and not com- company profits and profitability and getting more shareholders would you know, behoove a lot of companies to think that way and get people that, you know, in leadership positions that are able to think that way and, and keep the big picture in mind. It kind of reminds me of my Chicago Bears, you know, the, the GM may, might not be aligned with the long term, uh, with what's probably best in long term for the, the team, which is probably losing this year and, and uh, putting themselves in the best position to get you know, a good draft pick, but of course he wants to win now to keep his job. And I think it's similar for some of these books. They just want to care about the short-term numbers and not the longevity. And, and as long as those are at odds, then 
there's always going to be problems, I think. Well, for the sake of your Bears, at least there's some solace in the Carolina Panthers doing everything possible to ensure that Chicago is in a pretty position that come the NFL draft in a few months. I, I tell everybody here you should be betting Panthers money line to hedge your next 10 years worth of Bears fandom every week on a week-in, week-out basis. Just do it. Because I'm, yeah, I've been luckily the Patriots won and, and took care of business. Uh, that was big for Bears fans. I don't think they realized how big that was because it was looking like the you know the Patriots might be taking that uh, that spot. But I view it as a, a parlay that the Bears have to hit anyway. Of course, they're in line to get that number one pick. We also need polls to make the right decision with the pick. I have my thoughts on what he should do, but um, but yeah, it's it's almost like you, you need to get the pick. He needs to make the right decision with Fields and with the pick, and and of course everything else. So it's it's a tall order as a Bears fan, but. That's what it is. Well, part of your last answer to Dan's question, not only weaving in your Bears fandom, but also some talk on here and about thinking ahead, seeing the big picture. So, Mike, as we use that as a springboard from looking back on 2023 to looking ahead to 2024, what would you identify as an area that you might be most concerned about for the year to come? And on the flip side, something that you're most excited for in 2024? Yeah, I'll start, you know, the, Concern probably more ties into what I was saying before, just over-regulation, probably, those knee-jerk reactions. I think we're just one bad scandal away. And, you know, you see some stuff, you know, the whole, um, I forget, who's LeBron's right-hand man who just got kind of... Oh, yeah, Maverick Carter. Maverick Carter, yeah. You see something like that that calls into question that we know very well that, like, LeBron himself is not going to, like, risk anything for, uh, you know, for... You know how much you can get down in sports books. It's not the risk reward proposition is not there for him or any NBA player to have any foul play. But the perception is what matters. And if people perceive that there's some foul play going on, especially lawmakers, regulators, that's when there could be a problem. So I'm worried that there were one scandal, one bad scandal with a bigger name away from some knee-jerk reaction, maybe even on the federal level where they they get involved. I think we can agree you don't you don't really want to go there. But in terms of good things, there's a lot. And I, I've said, I think I've said here, like at the start of the year, that told people like we're at, we're at a new stage in the industry now. We've seen a lot of consolidation, of course, in some books, including Play Up, where I used to work, uh, that shutter and close their doors. You know, a lot of uh, European, Australian companies, points, but of course, getting bought out uh, by fanatics. You saw even bigger names like WinBet uh, leave the game. Of course, ESPN bet in the, uh, with Penn now. Saw a lot of consolidation this year, but where I'm excited is is where the products are going to go on the tech side, and the, and and I guess along those lines, the um, the exchange model, which I do think there's a nice place. One of the startups I'm working with uh, right now is is an exchange uh, trying to get market access, and you're seeing, you know, of course, New Jersey, you're seeing that, and I, I think I'm always looking at, at, at uh, housing in New Jersey in that area just because. Uh, Man, you look at those prices that you're getting on Sport Trade and Profit Exchange, and like, man, it's uh, that it's just so much better. Like, the, you know, and, and it's sometimes on both markets, of the, both sides of the same market, you're getting the best price at those those exchanges. So, as a better, I want to see that model take take hold here. And you just saw recently, I guess Colorado. I was reading Colorado regulators are going to be, um, of course, Sport Trade's live there, but not with the same models there in New Jersey. But they're actually going to discuss. Um, I know another player in the space has requested them to. Uh, to have a hearing on it, I believe, but they've at least agreed I think, uh, in the short term to at least discuss you know, changing the law there to allow that type of betting. Colorado's been, to their credit, uh, more willing to uh, to adapt to change uh, than, than other states in sports betting. So I, I think that's something that's maybe I'm looking forward to is the exchange model catching, uh, catching hold a little bit more, but really the tech, these exciting young tech brands. And I'm fortunate enough to work at a few of them where they, even if it's on the B2B side that really just changed the game and make everything better 
uh, for all of us. Um, and a lot of them are younger companies too, but they're going to you know bring just change the game a little bit. It's like this: we're used to like the same tried and true minus one ten against the house, and you know, not to loop in the whole DFS plus conversation and how that's been a big story this year too. But you've seen some of those companies try and uh, you know change the way we we, we get down the bit the way we bet. And there's some other companies out there that are that are, that are poised for big moves. I think next year that can really change our experience for the better on, on all fronts in sports betting. All right. Well, if you're consistently looking at New Jersey real estate for similar reasons, I am keeping an eye on Colorado. So we'll see what the future has in store there. But Mike, at this point, once again, the overcashes. Before we hit record, I'll peel back the curtain. <laughs> we had set a goal of 45 minutes for this conversation. I think both of us running on fumes in this post-Christmas stretch. Of course, you with a two-month-old, much more understandable than it is on my end. So while the overcashes, once again, we're not done just yet. Two core pillars of the show to go. So let's weave those in, starting, of course, with the Malinsky Minute. And Mike, this Saturday, December 30th, would have been Dave's birthday. So I would love to toss it over to you for one thought or story about Dave as we approach what would have been his 63rd birthday. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that we've been without him now for for as long as we have, and it's we always say it's the biggest bad beat in the history of the U.S. sports betting industry that he was he's uh you know not around to be a part of it, and of course passed away a month before PASPA was overturned. But it's it, it, I'm glad we're talking about it now because this time of the year I think about Dave the most, and it's really when I'm especially when I'm back home for Christmas. You know, I went up to the Chicago suburbs with our newborn and my wife, and we're with family and. And I have severe FOMO a lot of times. I think just not even sports betting, but probably especially in sports betting. A lot of the time I just, you know, I obsess over my odds screens and you know, keeping them up and, and I'm quick to pounce on a fast move. And I feel that anxiety when I'm not able, you know, if, if I have nothing else going on, of course, you know, at least not being, having one eye on them. And, uh, and that's a problem, of course, because you have to get, you know, life has to happen. And that's what Dave, you know, always, always told us. And at Christmas is important that I've, important time is ever just to turn the screens off and accept the fact that you aren't going to get a line mover or be invested in a game with the best of it necessarily. You're going to miss out on those and, and just be able to grip, you know, just gripple with that FOMO, I think is such an important thing for me in particular. Um, and I, I forget where I heard the quote, but you know, it's not a hot take, but, but I really embraced this year, the whole screens off fireplace on um, type mm. of, I forget where I heard it. it's not my own thinking, but like, I really embraced that this year. And, I feel like it was, I was able to recharge mentally. Of course, I you know, wasn't able to get down on a few prop moves where there's probably some opportunity there and some of the other stuff that happened. Like, you know, that I wish I got there's some big line moves on bowl games that I missed, but that's okay. You know, being able to prioritize what actually matters in life really, really matters. And you're doing, you're also helping yourself long-term. Like, yeah, I missed out on a few uh, plus EV plays over the past few days while enjoying time with family, but I'm better off for it, even though I'm still on no sleep. I was able to recharge a little bit and I'm able to better attack, you know, college hoops now is, you know, these games, tomorrow's board's pretty light, but it's going to be kicking up in the gear again, you know, this weekend, and especially next week as teams at the conference play. So, you know, it's just keeping that big picture in mind. And Dave was so good at that and just the way his board. So I really think about it this time of year when it comes to that stuff. I appreciate that you tied it in with sports betting without overemphasizing the sports betting side of it, because my thought I, I think is going to be complementary to what you said, but much more focused on that lifestyle side of things. And when I think about Dave right now, I'll weave in a couple of Dave stories to this thought, but the, the thought that comes to mind for me is when the stakes are low, just go. 
And I think that Dave was so incredibly thoughtful when it came to big bets or other significant life decisions. But a key to him being so well-rounded was also knowing when not to put too much thought into something. And a funny example I have to that is a nice bright spot in an otherwise really tough time. Shortly after he passed away, there was a get together at his house near the Las Vegas country club with some family and close friends. And there was a cabinet where he had some pasta tucked away. And his mom, Nancy told me a story of Dave, whenever he was cooking anything with pasta, he would reach into that cabinet without looking and just grab anything because to Dave, it all tasted the same. The shape doesn't matter. Now, of course, if you're a chef at a fancy restaurant, or if you're looking to pull off a specific dish, you do maybe want to be more thoughtful in that scenario. But for Dave, that was a case where the stakes couldn't have been much lower. So just proceed without thought and make things more efficient. And it can also just keep things really fun. And tying that in with a recent example in my life, on Christmas night, I was in Yosemite with my wife hanging around the fire pit at the lodge we were staying at. And I left for a moment to go grab a beer. And when I got back, I was surprised to see that my wife was engaged in a pretty lively discussion with a few other groups of people. And later on, I asked her how that conversation got started because things were pretty quiet before I left to go get my refill. And she said that she had observed somebody's technique roasting a marshmallow and she complimented them on it. It was that simple. Silence around the fire pit quickly turned into a really fun conversation on a variety of topics. And I feel like Dave would have been proud of a seemingly small moment like that because the stakes could not have been lower. And if my wife issued that compliment and got a short response or perhaps no response, it's fine. We're probably never going to see these people again. No harm done. But keeping it together with this Dave anecdote, um, Dave traveled a lot earlier on in his life. And he told me that sometimes he would strike up fun and innocent conversations with women at airports or on his flights by complimenting their hair of all things. So just yeah. a, a really, <laughs> I guess, attempt to tie a bow around this for me would be the takeaway, trying to be more like Dave as well as more like my wife, when the stakes just couldn't be lower, when the risk is essentially zero, it's perfectly fine to read the room and then stop thinking and not be afraid to take a chance, but whatever that may be. If the risk is zero, then by definition, the reward can only outweigh that risk. Yes, no, well said. And I like it's, it reminds me of like the Larry David quote, 90% of life is just showing up very similar. You know, you just put yourself out there like that. And, and uh, what's the worst that can happen? You know, maybe for a number of reasons, those people wouldn't have responded to, to Alice and your wife. You know, it's like maybe they were just having a long day and just, but maybe you have lifelong friends that's within the range of outcomes, you know, that uh, maybe you just, Oh my God, we have so much in common. And then next thing you know, you're Yosemite with them on Christmas night next year. Exactly. So I love that you gave a sports focused answer and I right away went to maybe some recency bias on my end, having gotten home recently from that Yosemite trip, but something more on the lifestyle side, because I think Dave covered all the bases. So I think it's, it's really nice that between the two of us, I think we covered some good ground there as well. And Mike, just a bit more ground to cover for the purposes of this conversation. I've seen you picking up a can from time to time as we've been talking. So maybe that will be the answer to my question. As we look to weave in the hops, what have you been enjoying lately? I'm not going to pretend to be a beer expert because I'm not, especially when I'm on a podcast with you. It's like, I mean, literally little league to uh, you know NFL Hall of Famer level. But I'm drinking uh, to shoots. I'm, I'm on a hazy IPA kick uh, out of Bend, Oregon. It's, it's called Fresh Haze, Haze IPA. Uh, Imperial IPA. Get it. For me, what, what I like about it and why I wanted to bring it on the pod is because I have a lot of, uh, there's a lot of mimosas at the Roselli house on Christmas morning, Christmas mm. Eve morning, and even like around this time of year. And this thing is the perfect segue, I think, 
from mimosa into beer drinking, watching football, because you get that tropical, the citrus and tropical fruit taste. Uh, they have a bunch of different pops in there. I think like a mandarina, amarillo. It says, um, but I, I enjoy the taste. So like it's a, you really get the orange citrusy taste. So for me, it just like paired really well. It's a nice orange can too, but um, yeah, you have that mimosa and then just it's just a perfect mix in with that. So that's what I'm drinking right now, the hazy IPA from Tashutes. And that's a really nice looking can. The artwork kind of tells you what to expect as you talk about orange, very citrus forward. And I love hearing you mention Deschutes because I have a really good friend who lives in Bend and we've been to Deschutes a couple of times. And there's some stuff there that you can get that's not widely distributed. But overall, across much of the country, Deschutes is widely distributed. So I also appreciate you bringing up something that most listeners can probably get their hands on, as opposed to my esoteric comments that might sound vaguely interesting some of the time, but it's going to be tough to get your hands on. Deschutes is a widely accessible brewery. And I think one of their flagship IPAs that I go to right away as well is Fresh Squeezed. So kind of a spinoff of the beer that you brought tonight. Um, if I recall correctly, I'll found that's a single IPA, more West Coast. So still plenty of citrus characteristics, but also that classic like citrus and pine combo, but not too bitter, very well balanced. Even if people typically don't like IPAs, I think that's one of the more approachable West Coast IPAs to offer somebody. And if somebody's into lighter beer, a similar flavor profile, but Mirror Pond, a pale ale by Deschutes, another good one in the arsenal. So whether you're looking for that pale ale, maybe somewhere in the 5% ABV range, or a single IPA in the six to seven percent range, or a double IPA like you've brought tonight. Probably, I'm guessing that's eight percent or so. Um, once you six point five anywhere along that spectrum, Deschutes has got you covered. Yeah, no six point five, which is like that, they say that's an imperial IPA at six point five. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. at least Google all right. I <laughs> they'll see it on here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to see uh, what's up with the. Yeah, usually Imperial is synonymous with double IPA, and oh. unofficially that starts around eight percent. So a single IPA tends to be in that six to seven percent ABV range. But maybe we're splitting hairs. I mean, it, it sounds like that's just a, a really nice, approachable, hazy IPA run. with a lot of citrus and tropical notes that can get things rolling on the right note. Whatever, might, whatever we want to call it, IPA, Imperial IPA. It, it just sounds like it's gonna hit the spot. We might have a, a false advertising claim to attack after this. Maybe a little civil case we can get after yeah. this. I, I will certainly be doing some research shortly to uh, get to the bottom of that. But in the meantime, Mike, we can hit the home stretch of this episode and want to share a quick ask with the audience as we do. So for those of you with us on YouTube and Twitter, would greatly appreciate it if you could take a quick moment to like this video. For those listening in podcast form, would also appreciate it if you could take five seconds to leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And one more reminder that however you're listening, you can support this show by supporting Right Angle Sports. If you're interested in checking out what they've got to offer, you can do so via my custom link, tinyurl.com slash picks. And to those of you still with us, if you're not doing so already, you can also follow Mike on Twitter at Michael Roselli. Mike, this has been such a blast. Once again, the overcashes when it comes to our 45-minute estimate for the a length lot. of this episode. <laughs> but it's been a blast every step of the way. Thank you so much for the time and insight tonight. Thanks so much for having me on. Excited to come on next time. And Happy New Year to everybody listening. Hope you guys uh, have a great finish to 2023, the Jordan year, and kick off 2024 <laughs> in a good way. Spoken like a true Chicagoan, and I will echo that to those of you who are with us as we wrap up this week's show. Appreciate you taking the time to watch and listen. Enjoy week 17 in the NFL. Have a safe and happy new year, and best of luck with your bets this weekend.